Thanks. I'm well. Thanks for joining. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Even though we're shooting, it has to be tough quite hard. Yo, um, guys. We, we mm. move. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think maybe before we even get to the, our stories, I think it might make for a moment to just pause here for a second, just on this issue of load shedding, because you know we we often underplay because we've become so used to it how big an impact this is going to have on people's lives and livelihoods um and yes we're going to talk about some numbers here and even the story of Ete Green and what they're going to do to deal with load shedding but it's yeah. quite clear that something is not okay yeah you know um and i think the implications are probably going to show themselves up in the third quarter growth yeah. numbers um but i mean from where you're sitting akona you know, if this continues, I mean, if we see stage five, six, four, mm. you know, seven, eight, somewhere, right up until December, what's the implication of that? Yeah, like, as you say, Ayabong, I think um, just over two weeks ago, SA released the GDP number for Q2. Um, and one of the key issues there was that um, load shedding has played a significant role, particularly in those dire numbers that we saw in Q2. Um, and as you as indicated, when Q3 numbers do come out, I think it's going to show a quite a detrimental um, forecast, particularly for the South African economy, um, hitting all areas of business, um, small, medium-sized, big corporates. Um, all sectors, mining, um, manufacturing, I think, will be quite hit quite hard. But I think also the day-to-day people, I think we all went into the weekend starting indicating um, stage four or five, and then went into the weekend, we had stage six. And I think we were all quite alarmed. Stage six on a weekend um, was quite alarming. And I think a lot of us are quite frustrated, and rightly so. Um, but I think we need um, solutions and timelines now because I think it's been going on for over a decade. Um, and in that, mm-hmm. and I think we just need um, concrete leadership to just give us some and take us into confidence because at the moment I feel more need confidence and we aren't getting any confidence particularly um, from government in terms of the way forward, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, yeah, I mean, only time will tell what this means. Uh, but it just does seem also that some of the uh, city-level administrations are dealing with this. I mean, I remember a while ago, city of Joburg being wrapped mm. over the knuckles by ESCOM for not adhering to the load-shedding schedule. And they said, well, right, you know, we look for more capacity. Uh, mm. We managed to rope in the Kelvin Power Company. We managed to rope in the others. Uh, we've heard something similar from Cape Town. It seems Eteguini mm. now joins the roost, uh, suggesting their own uh, process, which might come in online uh, over the next while. And uh, they might be adding uh, a few thousand megawatts um, to their capability in a 324 billion rand plan uh, to end load shedding in that industrial city. What do you make of that? Yeah, so I think, um, like the other cities you mentioned, the city of Joburg and the city of Cape Town, um, the Etiquini municipality has indicated that they also want to issue a request for a proposal for the construction specifically of 400 megawatts of power generation capacity. Um, so they indicated that um, this proposal should take place later this year or early 2023. Um, however, they will um, need guidance and permission from national treasury. Um, they indicate that the tender, um, when they do um, go out into the market, could attract um, 10 billion rand of investment, particularly to the Etiquini municipality and economy. Um, and I think this particular municipality, um, unfortunately, was ravaged by the, the rain that took place and the economy significantly suffering. And like many other cities and um, municipalities, um, 
the current state of load shedding is having a direct impact, particularly on all businesses and the city economies. So the from the city's energy office um, has unpacked particularly uh, a plan in terms of establishing a self-driven energy park which will be located um, to crude oil refineries um, that um, obviously consists of about 400 megawatts of gas to power um, and just building up particularly that infrastructure and just that um, long-term energy um, plan that they want to initiate. So in the longer term, they will also be procuring about 2,600 megawatts of generation um, that indicated this should be by 2035 um, from a mix um, of sources, including coal and also nuclear. Mm, mm. And, and I guess, I mean, you know, I come back to the point I made earlier on for an industrial center like, uh, you know, Eteguini. I mean, the implications of having, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, lights coming on and off, but also the alternative plans that industry has to make in order to deal with load shedding. I mean, I felt many people could deal maybe with stage three, stage four. But once you start to hover in the stage six, stage eight terrain, uh, it's mm. a different game entirely. Yeah, because as you've indicated, um, one started about um, just over four hours and other periods two and a half hours. And um, it does take up a lot of time, particularly in the life of your manufacturing plants, um, like the likes of Toyota, which were impacted in other plants that were impacted quite um, severely by the floods earlier this year. Um, but it does impact the economy and all sectors of the economy. Um, just Not just the inconvenience, but the trickle-down effect of not being operating in full capacity. Mm. Um, therefore, um, it could lead um, going forward to um, possible retrenchments. Um, exactly. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But yeah, these are some of the, the challenges that we um, should look forward to going forward into yeah. the year. Difficult times indeed. Uh, and um, m- maybe just, uh, I guess, as we shift from that story, land transport survey coming out yesterday. Um, and I was quite interested, I guess, in some of these numbers and what uh, they tell us about what has uh, happened in the uh, freight and passenger uh, land transport sector. And that's in particular road and rail. And uh, let's maybe take a look, I guess, at the broader number and we'll come back to how we disaggregated. It does seem... Uh, that uh, much of uh, what is driving freight transportation remains primary mining and quarry products, uh, closely followed there by, of course, I'm not sure what is an other freight, Uh, but then thereafter, agriculture, forestry, and primary products, speaking volumes about the type of economy that we see, not enough maybe on the the manufacturing food side of things, of course, which is slightly higher than uh, the agriculture and forestry products. Yeah, so maybe just to provide some context for the listeners who aren't familiar with the survey. So that is a good release a survey, um, particularly um, tracking the results of a monthly survey on land transport, covering um, both the rail um, and road transport of passengers and the freight industry. Um, so as you indicated, um, the numbers that did come out today um, on a quarter-on-quarter basis ending July, um, we saw industries um, such as your primary and current products um, contributing quite significantly um, to the total number. Um, but um, we did see um, other industries such as your basic metals and fabricated metal products, which include the likes of your steel products, um, unfortunately detracting from the overall numbers. Um, so in terms of the freight um, transportation, um, we saw those volume of goods transported increase by 26% for July compared to the previous year. Um, in terms of um, passenger transportation, uh, also on a year-on-year basis, 
what we saw an increase of about 6.4 percent, um, particularly in July 22, uh, 2022, rather, um, compared to a uh, year earlier on. Mm-hmm. And then, if we, I guess, take a look at some of these numbers, uh, I mean, I'm quite interested with where commodity prices are. Um, you know what we've seen in the primary. Uh, mining and quarried products uh, mm. increase, I guess, uh, from uh, you know just around uh, what's that number? You know, uh, 14 billion or so in value between mm. May and July of 2021, through to around mm. 17.2 billion, um, around 18.4 percent of a change. And uh, similarly, I guess, uh, higher valued agricultural products uh, moving uh, via rail and road. What do you make of that? Yeah, so I think what was quite interesting was that um, the primary uh, mining and current products, um, which contributed about 6.2% to the overall number, um, increasing by 8.4% on a year-on-year basis in July. Um, and I think we've seen, particularly um, in 2021, where resources um, did exceptionally well, um, coming from obviously a low base. Mm. Um, however, coming into um, coming into this year, specifically 2022, um, particularly the last two to three months, unfortunately, resources um, have sold off quite significantly. And that's mostly due to macroeconomic um, events, um, such as mm. the lockdown events that take, have taken place in um, the likes of um, Asia, particularly China, um, due to lockdown, um, particularly to COVID increases, um, particularly in that region. Um, so resources um, have um, come down, but I think... This number, this represents the, the number in totality from the numbers of last year, um, providing a good period, particularly for resources, um, that they have been exporting um, quite a decent number of goods um, offshore and also um, across the country. Yeah. Also, I must say, I mean, one, one set of numbers here that also did, um, I guess, please somewhat, 25.6% uh, rise in manufactured food, beverages and tobacco products uh, shipped via road freight and, uh, and rail freight. Similarly, 26.5% increase of a low base of textiles, mm-hmm. clothing, and leather goods. But let's maybe take a look, um, Akona, I mean, at some of the seasonally adjusted payloads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw, I mean, in terms of rail, a negative, uh, um, you know, growth there. 41, uh, you know, 41.7 million tons ferried mm-hmm. um, in this uh, particular period. Um, uh, if one compares February to April of the same year, and then of course some decline from May between May and July, uh, insofar as uh, you know the um, tonnage of what has been transported. And similarly, if one looks at you know the passenger journeys, I mean, let's leave aside mm-hmm. the goods now. A massive decline that we see there between mm-hmm. February and April and May and July, insofar mm-hmm. as rail journeys for many uh, passengers. Uh, what do you make of that? Um, I think it's a it's a twofold, um, Ayabova. I think the first part, particularly for passengers, um, has been, and particularly the decrease in numbers. Um, unfortunately, um, the contributor could be the prices of um, tickets mm. um, to the various um, um, provinces that um, our passengers are traveling to. So, coming into the year, we saw inflation, interest rates um, increasing quite significantly. And, and unfortunately, passengers and consumers, unfortunately, we have to just step back and look back. Um, where can we um, direct our um, funds to? And I think um, we are not traveling as much as we used to. Um, I think we're just preserving um, some of our disposable income and directing it to mm. um, areas such as your food, um, such as your primary, such as your food, um, school fees, um, going to work, the transport, um, those basic um, items that we are currently just focused on because of the high cost of living, particularly coming into this year. Um, and then also in terms of the freight, I think, 
especially with a lot of corporates and companies um, that have highlighted some of the challenges they've had with uh, um, transit, uh, particularly on the freight side. Um, we saw a lot of the core companies and the mining companies coming up with results um, over the last mm. month or two, um, indicating that um, exports and the getting out of goods um, out of South Africa, unfortunately, has been detrimental. And sure. um, they have forgone some revenue due to some of the challenges that they've had. And I guess the other difficulty, of course, is availability of rail. I mean, we can't run away from that. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when we look at the decline in negative terms, uh, mm-hmm. it's of a much, much lower base. I mean, if I think about it here, uh, rail passenger journeys, 5.3 million of those, um, you know, in uh, February to April, declining to 3.34 million between May mm-hmm. and July. It dwarfs in comparison to what's happening out on the roads. Yeah, it does. Um, I think... Um, a lot of people are more trusting, particularly of the road infrastructure, unfortunately, than the freight um, and the rails, uh, particularly in South Africa. Um, I think it's spoken about them, that there is a challenge um, with regards to the um, trains um, and that freight transport infrastructure and development on that side, um, and that a lot of investment um, needs to take place um, mm. for businesses and for commuters to all, um, have confidence, um, particularly in that transport system. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's certainly a story we're going to be picking up in the next few minutes or so with Marcel Antlapo, uh, especially on the goods side of things and so far as freight is concerned. But hey, happy times talking about coal deliveries for Tungela Resources. Uh, Mike Dekker and his, uh, well, no, no, no. I nearly said Mike Dekker Tsiriti. Uh, mistake there. July Ndlovu and uh, his team there out at Tungela. Uh, penning an agreement with the National Union of Mine Workers, the majority union, at some of their operations. Yeah, so Coal Miner Tungela Resources um, has signed a three-year wage agreement um, with the um, union, National Union of Metal uh, Mine Workers, um, sorry, which represents approximately 86% of unionized employees. Mm. Um, so the wage agreement um, increases salary and also salary-related allowances um, and it's also expected to increase the total labor cost to companies, um, which will average um, by 6% a year over the next few years. Um, and I think this is one that um, other mining companies and other particular sectors need to learn from. Cause, uh, but I think, you know, Tungela is coming from a, a, being a beneficiary um, of the Russian sanctions, having exported um, immense amount of coal to Europe, particularly in the first half of the year. And being recipient of that, we saw it in the numbers just over a few weeks ago, um, where they issued um, 8.9 billion free cash um, in the first six months of June. And so um, this particular news, I think, is quite encouraging. Um, and um, the CEO, Chivalido, will indicating that there is progress. Um, also just trying to um, have an agreement, particularly with the union, um, in terms of collaboration and also constructive engagement um, that they were able to start this deal with. And I guess, uh, you know, the fact that it's a multi-year agreement uh, shows mm. that uh, to some degree they were able to find one another. Yeah, yeah and I think that's a, that's a good one because I think we have seen multiple ones take place, particularly in the last year to date, um, which haven't gone um, very well. And I think this is um, quite a very good trajectory in terms of how Tungela has approached it um, and in terms of how this will benefit particularly the members and the, um, the miners and the community. Mm, mm. Then a last one here, two-pot system. We've been hearing about this one. Uh, mm. What's happening here? Yeah, so maybe just to provide some context for our listeners. Um, so the National Trade Union 
um, still sees a two-part system under which members of retirement funds will be able to access up to one-third um, of their retirement fund savings um, in case of emergency, um, particularly in the short-term period or financial relief in the short-term period. Um, so the new forms are proposed um, in, uh, in the 22 um, draft review um, bill. Um, which was circulated for comments um, to various stakeholders um, and was set to be implemented on the 1st of March of 2023 next year. Um, but with the news that came out today, um, implementation date has been moved by one year to 1 March of 2024. And this proposes a split, particularly um, the proposal proposing a split um, in terms of contributions, in terms of a two-part for all retirement funds. Um, so the one-third, up to one-third is accessible. Um, which is the saving part, uh, but also this is also subject to the fund rules of the respective retirement funds. So this particular savings part will start accumulating um, fund implementation date, with, which will be 1 March of 2024, mm. um, together with the retirement part. Um, unfortunately, um, there is a, a fee, not a fee, but a minimum. So they have set uh, a minimum such as only one withdrawal from the savings part um, can be made. Um, a minimum of 2,000, um, which is indicated, um, all or part of the amount accumulated in the savings pot um, can be withdrawn um, once in every 12 months period. But I think what members also need to be cognizant is that um, the amounts withdrawn from the savings pot will be included in the members' um, taxable income for tax year, and they will be taxed um, with regards to the relevant marginal tax rate that they um, currently reside. Whereas the two-thirds, which is the retirement pot, which is subject to full preservation and protection under the retirement um, part, which indicates that from the implementation date, this particular um, amount and contributions will have to be preserved until um, a member retires, um, whatever date that may be. Um, so these are just some of the developments that have come through. Um, so the communication indicating that um, they will be engaging uh, national treasury and various um, Parties will be engaging stakeholders um, within the industry um, of the changes because I think it is very much a big change. Um, retirement funds mm. and and very much companies and corporates um, who do collect um, contributions for members will will be needing to change systems um, so that they are ready for the first of March of 2024. Yeah, we'll have to follow this one closely and uh, only time will tell whether or not, well, firstly, they'll be able to align on timelines, but also secondly, uh, what this might mean for many pension fund administrators. I mean, it must, from a reporting perspective, be quite the headache to try and report around that. But Akona, Masishiapo Ngokluanje, and uh, wish you all the best there in the darkness. Akona Mlamleli speaking to us tonight. Uh, uh, our Portfolio manager out at 274 Investment Managers helping us with our wrap of the top business stories.